When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. On the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 6.30 Chad. So some of the individual award winners in the NHL for this season. We know some of them. The Art Ross goes to Patrick Kane. 106 points. The Jennings to Anderson and Gibson in Anaheim. The Ducks goals against average 2.29 to lead the league. The Rocket Richard Trophy for the sixth time goes to Alexander Ovechkin. He gets 50 goals right on the nose this season. Had a hat trick on Saturday. A little bit of Oilers news today besides all the uh, end of season stuff. Nurse Reinhardt Brassois Osterley going back to the Bakersfield Condors for the end of their season. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports presented by AMA. Thanks for listening all season long to Alberta Motor Association's Oilers Hockey. AMA, safety and savings for your family. The playoffs will start on Wednesday with three games. Just want to get to a couple of text messages here. This person says, by the way, sign your first name if you remember. I like to uh, be able to acknowledge who I'm talking to. This person says, what team has ever dominated with such a young core? I would not trade any of them until they reach 25 years old. Until this year, the Oilers didn't have quality support players. Eberle is the only one I would consider trading for anything. Unfortunately, you can't rush nature, and we are forced to support these kids until they mature. That is one text to 63630. DW, loyal texter to the show, says, Peter Shirelli will find out pretty quickly what the rest of the league thinks of our talented forwards and what they're really worth. I think that he's going to find out that he's dealing from a point of weakness and the offers are not going to be great. So he's going to have some very tough decisions to make to improve the team in the summer. That is from DW. And uh, Darcy the VAC truck driver responding to the caller Randy. He says, hey Randy, almost every team has at least one or two one-trick ponies in their top six. For example, Patrick Kane on Chicago. That is Darcy, the VAC truck driver. Well, I will say this though. Uh, you know, if you're if you're comp- if you're if your argument is that both Eberly and Kane are one-trick ponies, uh, Kane's a far more productive pony. But that just felt like it got. <laughs> you, can't, you can't compare players to ponies. It just sounds weird. What was the uh, movie with Pony Boy? Was that The Outsiders? What was that? What movie was that? Gotta figure out now that what movie that is. Wasn't there a character named Pony Boy in some movie? Let me uh, check this. Well, I'm looking it up. Pony Boy. Uh, 
Yeah, he was in The Outsiders. There we go. There's your random movie trivia for the evening on Inside Sports. Yes, yeah, somebody just texted in. Pony Boy Curtis. Thank you. 780-496-0063. Cam Talbot ahead in this hour. We're going to get to Kelly Rudy tonight as well. Pat Steinberg out of Calgary as the uh, Flames wrapping it up after a disappointing year on their side of the province as well. Jordan Eberle speaking in his final media availability keeping with the game management issue. There's a group in there that really cares and they want to win, but I think when it comes down to the game management part of the game um, in certain key situations, uh, maybe we lack that a bit, and that's what you need to do to win. Um, you know, I can't speak for being in the playoffs because I haven't been there, but when you watch teams play from there, it's always seems to be the same teams and the teams that we play against in the season that are tough to play against. Um, they're always on the right side of the puck. They're, um, they're defensively, they play, play structurally well, and in, in key times in the game, they they, uh, they always make the right decision. And I think, um, you know, we, we lack that a bit and, and understand that. I think we've gotten better, but there still needs to be improvement. Well, I think, personally, I think the Oilers lack that a lot. Uh, maybe I'm being too hard on them, but I, I think they lack that game management and that sort of awareness and that patience and tenacity. I, I think that's been a big problem. And I, and I just want to focus on this for a few minutes, guys, because we know about the roster deficiencies um, I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and talk for another half hour about how they need a defenseman because we know that. I, I want to talk about some issues that existed on the ice with the players that were on the team this year. Because despite the injuries and despite the deficiencies in the roster, there were some games this team had every chance to win. Had every chance to win and didn't. And it, it's like what I was talking about with a caller earlier who, who said, you know, I feel the Oilers are closer. And I said, well, to the point that they lost more one-goal games as opposed to being blown out over the first two periods and then the third period being a formality. Sure, I guess you could make that argument. Now, why? So if, they're, if they were closer, then they're still not finishing. And, and I asked Matt Hendricks yesterday, I said, Matt, you guys seem to know what you should be doing. You, you flat out, you know, in your post-game interviews and when you come out after the season, you flat out can tell you what the, you know, every player says, the coach told us to do this, and we recognize that we didn't do it. So why is it that you know what you should be doing but weren't able to always execute it? Falling back on old habits. You know, habits are hard to break. And I think as a, as a team that, you know, relatively young in terms of age and a team that hasn't had relatively any success, um, it's easy to fall back on, on bad habits when, when times aren't going well. And, and in my opinion, that's 100% what happened. So Matt, Hendri- Matt Hendricks, is there, if, there, if there's anybody out there that doesn't respect and like Matt Hendricks, step forward now. I imagine not very many people just step forward. By the way, if you're driving, don't step forward. But he says he's 100% sure falling back on old habits was the problem. And not being recognizing, you know, recognizing what you should do in the right situation, but for some reason your mind goes the other way. I also want to play this from Todd McClellan because there's something, a very interesting phrase that he uses in here. Maybe I'm going to use this as my, my overused phrase of the year that I'll start using. Here we go. It's mental, but it's also habitual, too. Um, this team in the past, and including this year, we've chased games a lot um, because of bad habits. And when you're chasing games, you tend to gamble more and you increase the risk. So you live in a chase and risk world. 
Um, that needs to change when you're in a 2-2 game in the sec late in the second period or in the third period. It doesn't mean you play safe and you're, you retreat. Uh, but you need to learn to manage moments better, and I don't think we've experienced that enough. And um, our core, um, our older core, has experienced that for a long time, and they need to learn that every moment, every second, every situation is important. And you can't pick and choose uh, when to... Um, when to do it right and when to maybe cut a, cut a corner. We're, we're not good enough to do that. Okay, I love that expression that he used. They too often found themselves in a chase and risk world. And the, and the thing is, here's the thing. I actually don't have a chance. I don't have a problem with teams taking chances and taking risks if they're probably going to lose the game anyway. You know what? If you're down 3-1 with 90 seconds left, I don't care. Cherry pick. Try the stretch pass. What do you got to lose? You know, your goalie's already pulled. Whatever. But as he said, they don't, they, they not often were able, they were not able often enough to manage those moments. And he says, maybe it's because in the past we haven't been in it enough. Well, they were in it more this year. At least that's a positive. And sometimes, especially some of the road games in March, where they won close road games, they did manage those moments better. So maybe... May, Maybe that's a sign of things to come. I don't know. Maybe we're going to look at all the one-goal losses this year and, and, and a year from now be saying, oh, see how close they were? I don't know if they are that close. But I do know that I, I, I think what the players in McClellan said here in the last few minutes is bang on. They did not often manage the tense, detailed moments of the game the right way often enough. You know, they went too often. They would get looking for the big play. They would get on the wrong side of the puck in a 1-1 or 2-2 game, and then it would be the other team taking advantage and getting the goal because a lot of the good teams in this league, they don't just make plays. They commit to not making mistakes. And if you want to talk about game management and staying with it and, and staying in it, I, again, am going to fall back on a team in another sport but a team in our very city and that was the 2015 Edmonton Eskimos. If there was ever a team that managed moments and never let the games get away from them and didn't chase the game and stayed with what they did well and committed to it, it was the Edmonton Eskimos. They were down 13 nothing in the Grey Cup. They didn't come out and say, well, let's change the offense and let's throw 30-yard passes every play. They stuck with it. And ultimately, that's what you want the team to have. The confidence to know that they can stay with it, that they, they are going to commit to the details, and they know that all their teammates are going to equally commit to the details, and that they are not going to give the game away. You might get beaten, but they are not going to give the game away. Now, the Oilers, quite frankly, aren't good enough to beat a lot of teams, and they are going to get beaten. But there were still a lot of games I thought they gave away, and even against good teams. They hung in there against Anaheim all five times they played them. Only won once, and that went to overtime. Anaheim still got a point. That, that's the threshold. That's the standard, is how the Anaheim Ducks and the LA Kings can play in those games. So I guess I'm asking you here and asking myself, and maybe we won't have this answer for a while, especially as we go into next year, but how much of the Oilers finishing in 29th place this year was roster inadequacy 
and how much was attitude inadequacy? And by attitude, I'm not suggesting, oh, I got a bad attitude, I'm just going to be lazy, I'm going to smoke in between periods. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the attitude of, yes, I am committed, and I know what the proper play is, whether it's 0-0 with five minutes left in the first period, or whether we're down 3-2 with 15 minutes left in the game. I still know what my assignment is and what the responsible, committed, detailed play is. And it might not lead to a goal, but it sure might prevent a back-breaking goal. So how much was just, hey, this team's not good enough talent-wise, but how much was that attitude and adequacy? And that's what I'm talking about when I say, sure, we know they need a better defenseman and all that kind of stuff, but how many points were squandered because of that attitude and adequacy? That's what I find interesting, and I think that's what McClellan tried to pull the team towards, and I think, quite frankly, as we heard from a couple players, the players themselves know they're not there. 718, Chris from Phoenix up next on the open line. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chat. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, good to have you along for the ride this evening. We were talking about ponies earlier this hour. If you're just tuning in, it's a long story. Uh, one texture says Patrick Kane is a hat trick pony. Viking Rod says Kane is a thoroughbred. Everly is a miniature pony. And Steer Cheap says one-trick ponies are great at a party, especially the ones that can juggle and stuff like that. <laughs> Steer Cheap, I like your sense of humor. Chris from Phoenix has called in, 780-496-0063. Hey, what's up? Hey, brother. Uh, we, we have uh, a few one-trick ponies on this other team, and one of them is uh, probably not going to be here next year, and it's going to be Yakupov. So now all the all the Yakupov lovers can, can go nuts because uh, he's about as one-trick as they get. Um, before I get to my comment, uh, I wanted to call in last week when we did the basketball tribute, and that was amazing. Uh, your uh, your little tribute that you did uh, around, like, 2 o'clock, I believe. Yeah, the documentary. Were, uh, deep... Yeah, that was, uh, that was phenomenal. You did an amazing job, and and the Oilers, in general, they put on a very good show. They when they when they retire players, when they bring players back, when they when they honor players, they do a phenomenal job. I wish that uh, uh, we could have translated that into uh, you know better product on the ice for for the number of years that we've done all that stuff. But uh, your your question on um, essentially is it a personnel? Is it a, is it a roster? Is it an attitude? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you can't take away um, the injuries that we had this year, but uh, that's not all of it. We uh, we didn't put enough, uh, we didn't have enough, um, you know, skill on the back end. We didn't have good enough players on the back end. Uh, and then it's also a uh, an attitude thing, because not all the not all the players uh, they do the little things that uh, it, it takes to win. Uh, when 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 we see them do it, when Hall, Eberle, Nuge, uh, and McDavid, when they all do the little things. We win when they go in, when they forecheck, when they backcheck, when they when they do smart plays, and not try to beat people one on you know beat three guys one on uh, one on three. We tend to play really good. Uh, it's just for some reason uh, bad habits creep into some of these players, and they just revert to, to trying to, to do what they used to do in junior or whatever worked for them in, in you know 
in the leagues other than the NHL. So it's a little bit of a little bit of both, but it's more so the attitude. These 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 guys got to buy into uh, putting it all on the line. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping that with a couple of minor tweaks here, um, you know, we, we got Maroon, which is hopefully he rubs off on some of these guys. And, uh, you know, hopefully next year we, we're not singing the same old song and dance where we're, you know, 27th instead of 29th or 28th yeah. or whatever. We need to make some serious, serious progress. And, and next year has to be, you know, we have to be, if we're not in the playoffs next year, we have to at least be knocking on the door. Well, uh, if, if I, it's anything... It was, and you know, and, and that's why I I, 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 I tried, I tried to bring up that attitude thing, independent of the roster criticisms and the injuries, because my point was, on a lot of nights, the twenty guys who dressed for the Oilers, were in the game, regardless of whether it was McDavid or Nuge or or a game Clefbaum played or or whatever. There were a lot of nights the twenty guys that played, were almost good enough, and so then you ask yourself the question. Why weren't they all almost good enough? And, Chris, there are a lot of rosters that you look at in the NHL that aren't very good that won more games than the Edmonton Oilers. I'm not saying that they were worse rosters than the Oilers, but there are a lot of rosters that don't knock your socks off. But there's a way in this league to grind out wins. And I think earlier in the season, because somebody called in and and commented on it once, I said there's a lot of teams in the NHL that are going to win between 33 and 38 games that aren't that great, right? But they just grind it out or they get that overtime point because, you know, at least they didn't lose in regulation time. And the Oilers aren't there yet. I I, I think part of it, it's it's, because we've, I'd like to see a a stat for the last couple years, and I'm not saying the last, not not the last full two years, but from from when Aikens was let go to to when we had Todd Nelson and then Todd Nassau this year. I would like to see a stat of how many one-goal games we've actually lost. Because if, I, if I'm a bet man, I, I'm thinking we're up there in these one-goal games. And even these two-goal games where, you know, we're losing by one goal and then they score an empty net are essentially to me that's a one-goal game. But I think it, it's just there, there's got to be something in there where it's where we're just that the players are just so used to losing. Maybe it's a culture thing. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe we, maybe a couple more players uh, where, uh, where we can get in that uh, maybe have been used to winning or at least some playoff hockey. Well, that'll help. I don't mind or stealing from successful just, teams. Maybe it's just time. Maybe it's just, you know, we haven't really had a coaching staff for more than a year, I don't think. The same coaching staff. Well, that's another good so point. Maybe, and, yeah. Yeah. So Chris, maybe, maybe, you know, Todd McClellan uh, next year will be singing a different tune. Well, uh, you got a great show, man, and I uh, love talking to you. And let's go Oilers. Okay, talk to you soon, Chris. Appreciate you calling. That is Chris from Phoenix. All right, in the next half hour, Cam Talbot. I had a one-on-one interview with him. Also, Todd McClellan was asked the question today, is Connor McDavid ready to be the captain of the Edmonton Oilers? I will give you that answer. This is Inside Sports on 630 Ched, coming up to the 730 News. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. It's 7.34. Hey, I want to wish all the best to the Chinook League champion Bentley Generals who will uh, open up the Allen Cup tomorrow against Stony Creek. 
the Stony Creek Generals. It's a Generals battle tomorrow in Manitoba. Uh, Stony Creek losing today to Ilda Shane, another Manitoba team. 8-3 was the final in that one. Bentley uh, will also play Ilda Shane on Wednesday. Everybody makes the playoffs, but if you win your division, you get a bye straight, or I guess uh, uh, if you win your pool, I guess you get a bye straight into the semifinal. This is Inside Sports on 630. Chet, thanks for tuning in. Cam Talbot in a couple of minutes here. Todd McClellan today was asked, is Connor McDavid ready to be the next captain of the Oilers? Well, Connor was a, a tremendous leader this year. Um, in his short time with us. His presence alone when he walks into the room um, and he knows it, uh, he, he exudes confidence, he carries himself properly. Um, I think leaders attract people. Uh, you want to be in his corner, you want to be around him. You, uh, uh, and leaders, when, when they attract people, they care about people too and Connor has that going. Um, he's still 19 years old. Um, I think he's close to being uh, the guy and, and ready for it. Uh, we'll talk more over the summer with that. He'll need a very, very good supporting crew around him. And, um, you know, we'll see what our team looks like in the fall to determine whether or not that's, uh, that's the right thing for him and for our group. Well, I think he will be. I think that's uh, as definite a yes as you can get at this point in the year, personally. And Peter Shirelli expects the, he said on Sunday that he expects the Oilers to have a captain for next season. And I, I can't see that being anybody other than Connor McDavid. Yeah, he's going to be young, but um, if there's anybody that can handle it, it is him. So uh, that's the latest on that. Cam Talbot wound up having a pretty solid season overall for the Oilers. Obviously, he wanted to win more. He's going to represent Canada at the World Hockey Championship in Russia next month. And I sat down with uh, Cam after he cleaned out his locker. Well, Cam, one season down. Do you feel like an Edmontonian? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I mean, it was a, kind of a roller coaster season, but... Um, I mean, I think personally, uh, I made some pretty big strides from uh, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, and uh, I felt more comfortable as the season went on. And and uh, I mean, just with the guys and guys in front of me and stuff like that, we we made some big strides too. And I think that this team is uh, is going to be on the cusp of uh, of turning this around and and turning into something great. What did you know about the city before you started living here full time? And maybe how do you? compare the the perception of the image and, and the reality of living here uh, my perception was that it was going to be really cold and uh, I guess this was one of the more mild winters so it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be but um, I mean the city itself is it's a great city it's a almost has a small town feel to it even though it's a it's a pretty big city but um, I mean the the fan base here is is incredible I mean I don't think I've ever seen a building sold out uh, the way it was for uh for the 29th place team, but um, which we got to give them a lot of credit for that and supporting us all year long. And uh, hopefully we can uh, come back next year and give them a little bit more to cheer for. Was there, uh, I mean, did you start to get recognized a little more out in public? Were there any fan interactions that were, I don't know, amusing, touching as, as the season went on? Um, I mean, I get recognized a, a few times, but not as often as probably some of the other guys because I do wear the helmet, so uh, it's a little bit harder to, to see my face through that. So um, I think I can fly under the radar a little bit easier than most. But um, I did uh, have a few interactions, just fans coming up, telling, telling how big of fans they were and stuff like that, which is always nice to hear, obviously. And and um, it's always nice to, to interact with the people that support you. So um, 
thank the fans for their support all season long and look forward to the next three years. Oilers goalie Cam Talbot joining us on Inside Sports. Um, you're going to go play for Canada at the uh, at the World Championships. Have you had any uh, experiences representing Canada before? Um, when I was 19, I played in the World Junior A Challenge, and it was the very first season that they, or very first tournament they did that. It was in Humboldt and Yorkton, Saskatchewan, but there's only uh, six teams, and two of them were Canadian teams. There's so many junior teams across Canada, so they made an East and a West. Um, but other than that, that's uh, the extent of my international experience, so I'm really looking forward to, to heading over to Prague and St. Petersburg and, and representing Canada. Do you have uh, an iconic Canadian goal? I mean, for me, it's uh, Lemieux in 87. I'm not quite old enough to have been around for uh, Henderson in, in, uh, in 72. Obviously, there's Everly's World Junior goal. There's Crosby's 2010 goal. What's, uh, what's your Canadian uh, highlight? Yeah, I was going to have to say the Crosby 2010 goal. That's one that sticks out of my mind to, to end the streak, I guess you could call it. And, uh, um, yeah, I just remember I was down in... <clears throat> down in college at the time and we were all huddled around the TV watching and and as soon as that as soon as that went in there was a bunch of cheers and a bunch of groans we had a bunch of Americans on the team too so it's kind of split down the middle but uh, it was a pretty cool pretty cool moment how awkward was that uh, I mean that's always going to be the case on a hockey team it's split between so many different countries so was, some guys are always going to be excited some guys are always going to be disappointed but um, for the most part I mean it's just great to see hockey like that yeah. All right. Um, in, in terms of how this this season went for you, I mean, you you, you got to play uh, was it three dozen games with the New York Rangers? Man, you hit you hit fifty six uh, appearances um, this year. How, how did how did you feel? How did you feel you handled the workload and and you know uh, playing more than you have before? Um, my body feels great. Like I said, I feel like I could have played another twenty eight down the, in the playoffs and stuff like that if if need be hopefully in the near future that'll be a case but um, I mean to play fifty six games and and only play four games but in a six week stretch there I feel like uh, it was a pretty heavy workload uh, throughout the rest of the season, but I feel like next year I could come in and play sixty five seventy games if they wanted me to um, they're pretty good about um, given the the maintenance days and time off for for guys like that and stuff so i mean they'll i'm sure they'll make it easy enough to uh to transition to more games and i'm looking forward to the opportunity todd mcclellan i mean i heard every post game news conference he did this year <laughs> um when you guys lost um and when he felt the effort wasn't there he was he was pretty blunt i, I assume he was very blunt with you guys what what was uh what was he like as a coach, you know, dealing with uh, the efforts where he was unhappy? I mean, yeah, he had every right to be unhappy a few times this year and maybe even a few more times than he, than he let it show. But um, I think Todd handled it extremely well. He knew when, uh, when he needed to press us and when he needed a better effort. And um, I think uh, when he did do that, it really kind of... Um, hit the guys because he didn't do it all that often so when he did you knew that something was wrong and that we needed to fix it in the room and uh, I mean everyone knew that Todd didn't have to say anything that it was within the room and uh, the leadership in the room that, that something needed to be addressed and uh, whether the coach says it or not sometimes you have to hold yourself accountable and your teammates accountable but uh, it's never never a good situation when uh, when you make when you put your coach in that situation where he has to do something like that what what happens i mean you guys know what the mistakes were and what the i guess negligent areas of a game were what what happens when a team 
sort of knows what they're not doing, but there can be extended games where, where it's not being done. What do you think happened there? I think sometimes it can just snowball a little bit and uh, maybe you start to overthink things and then um, things happen so quickly out there, your reads might be a little bit off because you're you're overthinking things sometimes. And um, I think that's that can be easy to do and it can be tough to get away from. But again, like the coaching staff does has done such a great job all year about um, managing those little situations and stuff like that and, and giving us the tools that we need to, to get ourselves out of it. So um, got to give them a lot of credit and the guys in the room credit to, to get out of those moments sometimes and, and to respond like they did. That is Cam Talbot. Talk to him Sunday afternoon. It'll be his second time representing Canada. He played in the World Junior A Challenge as a 19-year-old. From a current goalie to an ex-goalie, Kelly Rudy next on Inside Sports. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Former NHL goaltender Kelly Rudy, now an analyst for the NHL on Rogers, joins us once a week here on Inside Sports. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I'm having a super busy day getting ready, uh, doing some personal things before I leave tomorrow for a uh, what I planned a 63-day journey, Reed. I've booked my hotel for 63 nights in Toronto, and uh, I'm expecting, even though we don't have any of the Canadian teams in another outstanding playoff, I mean, there's some really great matchups, as you know, and so it's going to be an awesome uh, playoff. Have you thought about just renting a house or something, buddy? <laughs> That's not a bad point, but uh, the hotel's <laughs> close by to the studio, and... Uh, and they they make it really nice for me. Let's just say that. All right. So playoff wise, I'll just ease you into the interview here. Who's going to win the Stanley Cup over who, and who are they going to beat to get there? <laughs> yeah, because that's easy in today's uh, NHL world with the salary cap, right? Uh, you know, I look at as having dinner with some family last night, and uh, we're going through the uh, the series and looking at who you know the potential first round. Uh, the matchups and all that, but and there's always upset. So the one that I'm looking at, everybody knows the great season that the Capitals had, but I'm thinking, man, oh, I, is there a team that you wouldn't want to play right now and, and from the East anyways? And that's maybe Philadelphia, right? I mean, what a charge they made. Uh, Steve Mason's playing unbelievably well. So that's going to be a really hard matchup for the Capitals to get through that. And, I, and then – if they do read, I think then they're going to be going all the way to the finals. So from the East, that's my choice. Uh, from the West, oh, man, this is so tough, right? Um, <laughs> I, I have no – you know what? Maybe Anaheim. Uh, a little bit quirky with their goaltending. You don't know if it's going to be Anderson or Gibson or platooning, both guys, which typically you don't usually see very often. Um, so I, I just like the way that Anaheim had to really – get going from around late December and the way they played since then. But, geez, you'll look at some of these other great matchups. L.A. and San Jose is going to be a fierce battle. Uh, I like Dallas a lot, but their their goaltending kind of scares me at Lettinen and, and Yemi. Um, and then somebody has to lose two great teams, Chicago and St. Louis. I don't know what I can say about the West. Crazy. 
Well, you know, it's funny. My, my preseason pick was Washington over Anaheim. Usually when I pick two teams to play in the Stanley Cup final, then you can mark at least one of them down to not even make the playoffs. But this year, <laughs> but this year I actually got two teams that are favored going into the playoffs. You know, Philly's an interesting one because Rob Brown and I were talking after the Oilers wrapped it up on Saturday. The Oilers actually uh, beat Philadelphia both times we played them. And when the Flyers came through here in November, I can remember mm-hmm. Rob saying, well, there it is. That's the worst team in the league, the Philadelphia Flyers. Right. And they, they, right. they, they didn't look very good for, for a considerable stretch. I would agree with that. Uh, and, you know, I've uh, watched uh, Minnesota here in the last um, two weeks. I've covered them twice, and that's a team I don't like. I mean, I don't think they're very good, and they're not playing very well. Uh, maybe they'll find their uh, groove once the playoffs starts. But I'm like you. You know, sometimes you see these teams partway th- through the season, like, geez, how are they having this kind of success? And uh, Philadelphia is one of those teams to me. I did cover them not long ago, though, and they had made significant uh, changes or guys playing much better. And, and like I said, when you get a hard-charging team like that, that they feel great about themselves, that's going to be a heck of a, a matchup. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports as he does once a week. We'll uh, keep hearing for, from him until the end of the Stanley Cup final. You know what, Kelly? The Oilers wrapped it up, as you know, and uh, Peter Shirelli spoke yesterday. His goal was hopefully to get to 82 points. They obviously didn't. And Mm -hmm. Todd McClellan today said, you know, I think we at least took steps towards some of his goals, but maybe more of an indication of of how far they have to go. I mean, they improved by seven wins, and they're still second last in the league. So maybe that's more of a statement of last year than this year. Yeah, I do agree with uh, McClellan about saying that they've made some strides. I mean, I look at that team and I, you know, you point out certain guys uh, from time to time. And and I do even think those guys have made some improvements to their game. But it's the willingness to how far do they still want to go? Are they, uh, you know, one of the things I I found to be kind of good the last couple days, I heard some of the comments from the players and, and they were really mad. I mean, and that's a good thing because it seemed to me like previous years when they'd lose and maybe my memory doesn't serve me as well, but they're like, they were more optimistic. They're, oh, we've made improvements, so next year, you know, we're more likely going to be a better team and all that. This team looked like they're really mad at themselves for this year, and that's a good thing. Anger can do a lot of good things to certain players. Some guys can play really well angry. Not all athletes can, but it's a real quality if you, if you have that ability. Well, they. But one of the things they emphasized was, I mean, I mean, Everly brought it up, Hendricks touched on it, and McClellan brought it up today, was game management. And and the perfect example to me is, is the Anaheim Ducks. Kelly, the Oilers played five games against the Anaheim Ducks. They were all close. Um, yeah. I mean, one of them, I think Anaheim won one five three, but it was two two late in the second period. The Oilers, their only win came in overtime. And to me, that's a perfect example. Anaheim is just convinced not to be the team that makes a mistake. And the Oilers might be able to do that for 30, 35, 40 minutes. But then either through inexperience or maybe just getting a little antsy, then all of a sudden they would do something that would would give give the game away. And the, the detailed, mature teams don't do that. Yeah, that's a fantastic point, and that's entirely accurate. The other thing I'd say... Add in one more quality, and it's about winning puck battles. And you, you talked about Anaheim. You can look through these a lot of these uh, teams in the playoffs. 
Uh, that's what it's about. It's uh, puck possession. Everybody talks about that now. And if you're a puck possession team and you want to win puck battles, you're going to have a lot of success. And so I think that's an area in which the Oilers uh, did make some improvement, but they still have to get to better at that because when you play those big, tough teams like Anaheim, I mean, rarely do you see a guy like Getzlaff make a stupid mistake. Now, he did earlier in the year, but uh, the last half of the year, he is his regular brilliant self. And so when you're playing against guys like that, they do the right thing, and then they're just waiting for you under pressure to do the wrong thing. Yeah, for sure. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. Patrick Maroon quickly became a fan favorite. I'm sure you saw the ovation he got on Wednesday night after the final game at Rexall. Didn't hurt that he scored a couple of goals in that game. But uh, <laughs> but uh, for here, here's a here's my memory lane question for you tonight. A guy who joined a team you were on that made an immediate impact and just just fit right in because it's it's not always easy for guys coming to new teams. Sometimes there's an adjustment period, yep. even if they are a good player. Mike Ricci. So oh. I was playing for San Jose. And uh, we traded for him, and from the first game, I, I'll never forget it, in fact, we were in Washington uh, the night before the game we were playing the Capitals, and he joined a whole bunch of us for dinner. He fit in immediately at the table. We found out quickly he was a real great guy and, and uh, wasn't disappointed in the, the move. He was happy to be joining us, happy to be joining a team that uh, was uh, – starting at a pretty low level, but uh, with Dean Lombardi as our manager, he recognized the improvements were on the way. He fit right in on the ice. In fact, I believe he scored that game. Uh, We ended up winning in Washington, and he played for many, many years uh, with the Sharks. And and that was one guy that – and I'm sure there might be a few others, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's the one guy that fit in the easiest – the quickest and had the most impact and for a long time. What's it like in a dressing room when when you get a new guy? I mean, there's 20 guys, 23, plus coaches, yeah. so it's not as if you're all interacting and hanging out every day, but is there that – I mean, when, it, when a new guy comes in, are you like, okay, i got to make sure I meet him or i got to see if he comes up yeah. to me first? How does it go? Uh, typically, uh, when you're the guy that gets moved to a team, like when I went from New York to L.A., the guy's – do a great job of coming up and saying hi first. So it's not like you're just going kind of cold to everybody and and doing that. They do all the hard, the heavy lifting, so to speak, and they try and really make you feel welcome. Typically, uh, you want the teasing to start pretty quickly so that you feel a part of the guys too. (laughs) You know, they might take a shot at you here or there, and, and that's a good feeling. You can have a good laugh with them, you know, maybe when you're getting ready before a game. Um, those kind of things, because I think that part of it is really important to all of us. You know, some guys are outgoing, some guys are a little bit more shy, but we all want to fit in. And so when the guys make you feel that way, it's a real, it, it's a real great feeling. And, and, you know, not, and it's for everybody. I mean, one of the great things about uh, playing with Gretzky is that he wanted you to tease him. I mean, he wasn't, he, although he is the best player by miles in the entire league, he wanted to be one of the guys, so he'd laugh harder than anybody if he started to tease them. So everybody's in that boat. They want to feel good about themselves and want to be uh, thought of as a good team guy. Well, Kelly, often I tease you in these interviews, but I don't think I did today. Thanks a lot for your time, buddy. Enjoy the 63-day odyssey in Toronto. <laughs> okay, pal. Have a good one. That is Kelly Rudy. When we get back, we will talk Jordan Spieth, 
failure, and how to deal with it. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.